Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmara Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarn, joined as always by a man who just ran for 199 yards for the New England Patriots and scored four touchdowns. <laughs> At least I think that was him. Dan Baker. DP. They just pulled you right off the street, man. And Folk hero status. Going to be starting for the 76ers. Yeah, and you could probably pull that off. We're going to be talking about that today. Yeah, the Bo- You could be Bo Jackson in today's sports world if you just play for tanking teams. Speaking of tanking, we're doing it on this show, and that's why I'm joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? Hey, hey, hey. I resemble that remark. But hey, but hey, I got to do an impression for you. Please. My RG3. All right, oh, you ready? Oh, man. All right. Guys, you know, um, I, I didn't play well, but Dave, you didn't play well. And, and Mark, you weren't good on the show. Dan, your production was, was, was bad. Look, we have no all pros on this on this broadcast. I want yeah. you guys to know that. Yeah. I mean, what? I can't even imagine saying that. But anyway, oh, go ahead. Man. Well, that's a nice little preview because after this break, we are going to talk about RG3. And hopefully I want to talk about, like, why it is that people seem to hate RG3 more than Adrian Peterson and Ray Rice combined and what that, that. says about this country. <laughs> I think, actually, that's very accurate. And But, but we're going to talk about that. Um, and just let me run this through before I introduce Mean Mark Barry. So glad to have you, Mean Mark, but don't say anything yet. <laughs> but I just got to let people know because we are also going to have on the show Richard Kent because last week we spoke about the UConn Huskies women's team and how they just seemed like they would never lose again, and then they lose. So we're going to talk to Richard how they lost, and we're going to talk to Kostya Kennedy, the author of the unbelievable New York Times bestseller, Pete Rose, An American Dilemma. Kostya Kennedy, longtime writer for Sports Illustrated. Mean Mark, the show is yours. Go, Mark. Go. Go, Mark. Go. (laughs) Go, Mark. It's it's good to be back. I just want to talk about my Chicago Bears, your Super Bowl team. Yes. And how I play in the Bengals, baby. I... (laughs) That's totally happening. I I feel... Everything feels right, me being a Bears fan, but them being as terrible as, as I thought they could have been this year. I'm playing for draft picks, man. Draft Real picks. Oh, All right, quick question. Does Tressman come back next year? No. Good question. No, no, no way, shape, or form. No. Nothing could happen between now you, and the you know end who, You know who their coach is next year? Who? Mike Shanahan. I hate it. Oh, my. Moving on. I hate it. Wow. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Second question for you. Second question for you. Does Jay Cutler come back That's next year? That's the question. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Why well, he's paid? They paid him? Did he pay him? They, they paid, paid him. him. I they, mean, they, they, could, they, they could would save him. something like $12.5 million they, if they he's, cut he's him. He's coming back. Wow. Chicago well, hates speaking themselves. Of, he's speaking back. of coming back, so are we. We'll be back right after this <laughs> on nice, Edge of Sports. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here in Edge of Sports Radio. This is just going to be a, a short conversation with Richard Kent, our college basketball expert who we love having on because we had him on last week to speak about the mightiness of the UConn uh, Huskies women's team. And then this past week, for the first time in 
what, 47 games, I think it was? 48, I believe. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they lose to Stanford. Blown away by this even happened. Uh, Richard, how you doing, sir? Good, how are you? Good. Richard, how did this happen? How did UConn lose? UConn lost for three reasons, as far as I'm concerned. Number one, they play very few games that are close at the end. And I really think that they look disorganized at mm-hmm. the end. And when there was an opportunity for them... You know, to take the ball out of bounds, they had I think two point two seconds remaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just they just didn't have a play. Number two, I think Gino, who uh, I consider to be one of the top three coaches in men's and women's basketball right now, did not commit the foul with five seconds left in regulation. And the girl for Stanford hit a three from the corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I am I read the Harvard study about this. I'm a strong proponent of committing the foul. You know, I don't think uh, Stanford was even in the two-shot bonus. So she's got to make a one, a one and one. And the concern is you're either going to hit somebody's arm while they're taking a three, and it's going to go in. And the chances of that apparently are less than six percent, uh, especially with women, not to be sexist, or that uh, a player is going to make the first free throw, miss the second, get a rebound, and then get fouled. And that simply doesn't happen. How are we not looking at this? I mean, I watched the game as. A serious indictment of Gino, because I know yeah, well, I agree yeah, with he, I agree he, that his pedigree uh, backs up everything you're saying about how we should be viewing him. But my God, I mean, it just looked like error after error from the bench of what should have been an eminently winnable game. You know, it's not one game cannot be an indictment of somebody that's about to catch John Wooden for national championships. I mean, I just I just can't say that. Did he coach a good game? No. Is he zero and six now in overtime games? Yes. And that makes a statement. I mean, Muff McGraw, I think, is 2-0 and against him in overtime games. So you could argue that he's a great coach up 30, and he gets the players, and he has the pedigree to get up 30. But in a game in which it's two or two or three-point game, uh, at the end, I mean, he's not used to it. The players aren't used to it. And they were virtually leaderless at the end. Yeah, we, yeah and let's talk about that for a second because we can – Blast Gino till the cows come home. But let's talk about the folks on the court. Where where do you like who showed up, who didn't show up for UConn in this game? And I ask you that because people who listened to the show last week, you and I discussed like just the 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 murderers row of players on this UConn team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brianna Stewart showed up and she was triple teamed most of the time. Mariah Jefferson played perhaps the worst game I've seen her play mm-hmm. as a UConn player, uh, even as a uh, second game freshman. And Mosquito Lewis just looks out of shape. She seemed out of shape, and she didn't hit a three. I don't think until about eight minutes remaining in the second half. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, what you're doing then is you're giving a team as good as Stanford uh, opening after opening to start to then believe themselves as the game. Goes well, let's, on. let's talk about Stanford for a second because Tara Vandiver, who is one of the certainly one of the top uh, female coaches, if not you know overall college coaches, changed her offense completely from a uh, a triangle offense, which is run by the Knicks on occasion, to a totally guard oriented offense this year. And UConn had no answer for the Stanford guards. They were running some backdoor variations, which is what Princeton runs. And they were also, um, you know, they were also hitting the open man for a 15 or 18 footer. Mm. Well, Richard, I, I know your time is short. Thank you so much for your time. I do want to ask you, though, just so you could have the first word for our next segment. If there was a game between the men's Kentucky team 
and the Philadelphia 76ers. Who wins that game? Dave, I don't buy into it. I think the 76ers would beat them 11 out of 10 times. Wow. (laughs) 11 out of 10. I agree, Rich. Uh, Take care, guys. (laughs) Thank you so much, Richard Kent. Very glad to have that take from him. You say you agree 11 out of 10 times, as Richard says it, Coach. Come on now, Coach. Coach, think about this for a second. Some of these players on the 76ers are younger than the players on the Spurs. It does not matter. I'm I'm Kentucky. That's it. I'm sorry. Wow. You're talking about professional pride. (laughs) These are NBA players. They are not in the league by happenstance. They are among the top. What is You can make a case that some of them are in the league by happenstance, though. No. no. There is a team that is actively trying (laughs) to throw their season. That's pretty happenstance (laughs) to me. Okay. But still, the players they got, they they are there. They are among the top 340 people in, in the sport. And professional pride would take over. They would blow Kentucky's doors off, doors off. Or the game would not get finished. They, they would brawl. What did Eric Bledsoe, kids. who um, played at, K- at Kentucky yeah. uh, very briefly, um, what, one year? Is yeah, all Eric Bledsoe so, played yeah. at Kentucky? Um, and is now big time NBA player. What, what were his comments about this? I, I, he he came out. There was the question over where whether Kentucky, the number one team in the country, would be able to beat the 76ers. Calipari was like, no, that wouldn't happen. He came out and said that in a seven game series, Kentucky would win the series. Whoa! And I don't I don't know if I agree Coach or not. Just but rolled his eyes from ear to king. I gum. I think that when you talk about pride, you can't really keep the 76ers in that because they have no pride at this point. There's no pride. If if, the, if <laughs> there's no pride, if losing to Kentucky would assure them the number one pick. They would lose by as much as it takes to get that number no, one you, pick. No, that's management. Wow. That's not the guys on the field on I mean, the floor. The, that's management. You know, that's this. very interesting because that relates to the discussion we're going to have later in the show with Koskia Kennedy, uh, the author of the Pete Rose book. Because yes, the 76ers are not throwing games like professional wrestling style. But I mean, their coach, are their they, coach is kicking balls to get technical fouls to lose games at this point. Are they dis- yeah, Are they running the risk of discrediting the sport? Real question. Like, like co- co- I got to ask Coach, yeah. when, when you see what the 76ers are doing, do you feel like that the brand – I mean, I know the brand of the 76ers is suffering, but do you feel like the brand of the NBA suffers that you have a team like this that's doing what it's doing? Yeah. I, 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 and what I don't understand, what, what, what is the end game? I mean, is, is, last year's draft was supposed to be the draft. players. But I don't know what this draft is going to, is supposed to bring. I, I don't understand. I thought – I don't, I don't get confused. it either. I'm I don't really get it confused. either because the nature of the draft process now is, I mean, not not to sound like Rick Pitino, but, you know, Patrick Ewing isn't walking through that right. door. <laughs> right. You know, LeBron James isn't walking through that door. David Robinson. I mean, when you, when you think about the Tim Duncan, the once-in-a-decade franchise changers, hmm. not only are there less of those because it's once every 10 years. I mean, not, there, there are few of them, obviously. But the uh, the other question that I think hangs over all of this is, given that players are now coming out trained in the AAU, only one year of college, unlike Ewing, who did four years at Georgetown, mm-hmm. it's it's hit or miss anyway. Mm-hmm. So someone like Andrew Wiggins, who from a skill set, maybe if Andrew Wiggins is born 20 years earlier, he is a Tim Duncan mm-hmm. type of franchise changer. And we're not going to necessarily know that either in a for a few years, or maybe we'll never know it at all because the development becomes so distorted in the current process. I mean, do you agree with that, Coach, based mm-hmm. on what you're seeing? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. I don't get the end game. 
I don't get what they think they're going to find out there by doing this. And here's the biggest one of all, and I've heard other people say this, so I can't count it as an original idea, but it's definitely gotten under my skin, is I look at a player of Mike, like Michael Carter-Williams, who I think has skills that are yes. profound, mm-hmm. and what happens if all he learns how to do is win 14 games a year for his first three years? Mm-hmm. I mean, who is going to be successful long-term if that's the way they're incubated, really from a boy to a man, when it comes to being an NBA player? It seems like a very, very dangerous game you're playing. It seems to me like it reminds me of the Wall Street hedge fund crap where (laughs) they're taking companies and stripping them down to their foundations and then thinking they're going to rebuild based upon the strip down and selling the parts and picking the meats off the bones. And then they're saying – because that's the mentality of the hedge fund is you have to break it down to rebuild, except – we're not talking about factories. We're not talking about products. We're talking about human beings. Mm-hmm. And so their assumption that we will break down this team, well, guess what? That team is Michael Carter-Williams. That team is Nerland's Noel. Who's to say that like some sort of inanimate object, like some sort of factory in Pittsburgh, they're going to be able to be rebuilt so easily? That, to me, is Mm -hmm. the difference between human capital and mechanical capital, and I'm worried that these hedge fund guys don't know the damn difference. Go Dave. Because it helps to run a hedge fund if you're a sociopath. Go Dave. It really helps. Go Dave. If you don't see people as people, it helps a lot, Mm -hmm. and they're going to destroy one of the great franchises in the NBA in proving that fact. This is Edge of Sports. we got to go to break. We'll be back to talk Adrian Peterson right after this. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. No, the fact of the matter is we're not a very good football team right now, and we got a long way to go. And uh, every guy's got to look himself in the mirror and, and say that to himself. You can't, you can't sit, you know, sit in your locker or be out on the field and say, "Well, it's not my fault." You know, uh, I'm, I'm a baller. I'm an All Pro. I'm a, uh, you know, a Pro Bowl player. Because right now we have no Pro Bowl players. We don't. We're not playing that way. I'm not playing that way. The line's not playing that way. Our receivers aren't playing that way. The backs aren't playing that way. Our defense mm. isn't playing that way. It's Our true. Special teams isn't playing that way. Mm. And we all know that. Boom! We're back here in Edge Sports Radio. I'm just hearing RG3 talk, and I keep thinking to myself, it's just it's just something that came into my head right now randomly. If I don't care if you're Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning, if your players aren't performing, you're not going to succeed. That was an original thought I just had. <laughs> no, that was an RG3 quote. Go oh, ahead. yeah. That's RG3 <laughs> said that. My bad. Oh, man. Wow. So there you have it. The defeated, broken soul of the greatest player to play for the Washington football team in the last 20 years. I broken, mean, defeated, damaged. You're not far off is the sad part. <laughs> that is the sad part. <laughs> Actually, you guys are wrong. fans are not going to realize that's not exactly high praise. Coach. You guys are so far wrong. He's not. He's saying us. that. Let me tell you something. Talk to us, Coach. This guy. Get him, Coach. I'm going to disagree, but get him anyway. <laughs> this guy is up there as about as disingenuous as A-Rod. That's in his neighborhood. And, oh. and I'm, I'm telling you, this is a phony cat who is out there, but I promise his brand and his daddy and his entourage, they're all, all in for this. When he comes up there and talks all this Superman stuff, and he gets up there, and, and, and look, Danny Boy has given him carte blanche to do this. So that fed into him. He came with an ego. He came with the Superman aura. I'm this, I'm that. He had a special on the ESPN the day after he came out of the anesthesia. He, this, this guy is all about self. And, and here is how it manifests himself. And Gruden said it 
uh, after he went on a tirade that was also over the top. Which Gruden? Explain to um, me because people uh, know about John Gruden. Jay. Who's Jay? And it ended the coach of oh, the football Jay Gruden. team. Oh, Jay Gruden. Oh, you mean the Frank Stallone <laughs> of NFL coaches. Mark, Mark's going crazy. So I want to get out of this guy. Mark, Mark's about to jump out of his chair on this. So look, so Gruden crossed the line too when he came up there. I mean, I thought, what's, what's left for the film room? His fundamentals are bad. He's, he can't throw. Um, he, he made a three-stop dribble. He should have made a five. He, he didn't see the field. I'm like, wow, this is where's the, where's the film room? But RG3 deserved it. This guy's all about self. Now watch this. He... This is what Gruden said, and I knew, and I told people this. I said, everybody said, oh, he's just, you know, he's trying to make, he's kind of capitalizing, he's working on his brand. For audience purposes, yeah. people should know that the next day, Gruden clearly got got his chain pulled a little bit, right. and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Right. And where did that come from, Allen and, and Gee, Snyder? I don't know. Right, right. It's but, a mystery. <laughs> but ahead, get it, but look, here's the thing. So everybody said, ah, he's just, you know, he's young, he's 23, he's working on his brand, and so forth and so on. And said, and I told him, this is how it's going to manifest himself. And Gruden basically said in the press conference. He drops back the pass. Instead of dumping it off to Halu for the for the five yard check down, he's gonna say, I'm Superman, I'm throwing it sixty to Deshaun, misses it. Or he says, instead of going to get the six yard check down, let him get the first down, he gets hit with hit with a sack. Because that's his ego, that's his Superman mentality, and that's why they continue to lose. Well, I felt like actually he was checked down Charlie the whole game. I mean, I thought pers- for for playing one of the worst games I've ever seen, he had a actually a healthy completion percentage because he threw tons of three yard passes on third. On the, on the on the on the drive where they scored their only touchdown against Tampa Bay, where us the three of us scored. Maybe maybe, maybe not you, me, Mark could. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and and Hulu and took the thirty yards, and then at the end of the game, after that, he was doing some things. He was holding the ball for the five sex he was right they were my fault the guys i'm telling you man this guy's all about him i don't trust him when i owed mark true or false uh, america coach being part of america mm. seems to dislike rg3 more than adrian peterson and ray rice combined is that hyperbole or do you think that's fact i mean it's, it's very much kind of the devil you know at this point yeah uh, <laughs> it's rg3 the, the the amount the amount of hatred that have, that's come out against rg3 and i'm not I'm not in his favor. I think that if there was any owner other than Dan Snyder, RG3 probably wouldn't be with the team next year. He totally, he absolutely will be next year. Even if the entire coaching staff is gone, RG3 will be back next wow. year. Wow. He's the but, best quarterback on the squad. you got, you got to keep him. Also, Maybe. mark that down, uh, Mr. Dan, that uh, Mark Barry just predicted that RG3 will be back even if the coaching staff is not. I think they might look to trade RG3 if the current trajectory continues. Really? See yeah. what they can get for him. No. Disagree. I mean, they'll 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 do what lo- they did with uh, the Titans did with Locker. They'll they'll s- hold off on picking up the fifth year option, and they'll go in with this kind of lame duck quarterback. But they'll go one more year and see if he can get it back. Absolutely. They'll do like probably bring in Cousins and Colt McCoy and say, "Let's have the three of them fight it out, and let's see what happens." There's no and, fight. Archie's better than them. What what, what can they do on Colt a football McCoy? field better than yes. Colt yes, McCoy? But and but and yet that's the whole point though. Can do but now. that's the, and also someone who I respect a great deal, who's in their training camp every day, said to me, "Don't believe for a second that RG three has somehow lost a step coming back from knee surgery. He's as fast as he was his rookie year. The no, times no, show not. the times show that. Uh, who but says the that? Times. Are you looking at the stopwatch? That no, stuff I'm not. Manifest. No, but this is a person I trust. But I'm just making this point: is that you're right coach that because I think you're judging it on the basis of the burst you're seeing on the field mm-hmm. and in that you're absolutely correct it's mm-hmm. nothing close but if there's a, but if he is showing it in terms of the actual data that he hasn't lost a step okay. post the knee that says something about desire to to run 
Like well, he doesn't want to do it. Not necessarily. Or, so he's running about, more sorry, gingerly, more, more carefully, more, all more. the rest of it. Okay. And one more thing, Coach. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this. I'm saying this to you as well, Mark, because it's like it's easy to take shots at RG3. But I was talking to um, Atan Thomas earlier today for Washington Wizard, and he asked me this question. He said, he said, has this organization set up RG3 to fail? Is that basically what we're looking at, an organization that set him up to fail? And I said to Atan, and I just get your thoughts on this, Name one player or one coach in 15 years 15. who has been set up for success by this team. What is the storied career that's come out of Washington in the last 15 years? A career that has burnished a player's reputation, a career that makes people think differently about a player's legacy, uh, a career that makes you think to yourself, that person's going to stand someday with Daryl Green and John Riggins and Art Monk and all the people that those in this town genuflect in front of. Who? The closest you probably have is London Fletcher. And London Fletcher is a 38-year-old linebacker for a team that didn't make the playoffs, yet played every game. And what's the ties that bind? Gee. Hmm. Mark, what are the ties that bind? I, pro- pro- probably Daniel Snyder there, right? Thank you. Yeah. There Case you closed. Go. Dan Snyder. And that's why, Coach, I can't join you on the RG3 as the A-Rod brand enhancement, all the rest of it. Because, you know what, I think, unless you're Andrew Luck and you're basically like, you know, eat, sleep, and breathe football. Because I read this thing that Andrew Luck, what he does when he's not studying film and reading stuff, is he likes playing video games. In other words, he's a loner. He likes being in his own head and unto himself. Unless that is your predilection, I think every young athlete in the 21st century, because that is the sports world we have created, left to their own druthers, will go for brand enhancement over success. Unless you have like profound predilections in the other direction that are, frankly, more about your emotional temperament, Like, if you had the choice, you would go for the brand enhancement. The difference is that the successful quarterbacks, the successful athletes in all the sports, I should say, they usually have an elder, a manager, uh, a sports owner who is their boss, somebody who steps in and is like, slow your roll. If the success isn't on the field, you're basically a Kardashian. You're famous Mm -hmm. for being famous, and that ain't going to last. This is different. Because this is the franchise that enables stars, frankly enables them to embarrass themselves, and throws everybody else under the bus. I have known people, spoken to people who have played for this team, who have stories about upper management walking past them as if they are dirt on the street and then going up to the stars to play jock-sniffing time. Mm-hmm. Trans- like Put that... Contrast that, if you will, with a story I heard about who's the player who ran for 199 yards for the Patriots this last week. In Jonas, Gray. Jonas Gray. Jonas the Gray. Greatest running back of all time. A story <laughs> I heard about Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, and you know I'm not an owner guy, so mm-hmm. but that's so you know that I take this seriously. This is huge. <laughs> yeah, Bob Kraft, who is disgusting for 197 different reasons that have nothing to do with football. Bob Kraft seeking out Jonas Gray last week before the game and being like. Hey, this franchise is going to rise or fall this week based on how you play. And seeking him out and doing it. There is not a universe where Dan Snyder seeks out the undrafted running back to give him that kind of love. He doesn't know who he is. Yes. He doesn't know who he is. He's, he's window dressing. He's scenery. 
He's a blur out of the corner of his eye as he walks to Dion's locker, walks to Bruce Smith's locker, walks to Clinton Portis's locker, walks to RG3's locker, and commences with the jock snifferoo. And you know what? You will have a losing franchise if that's the case. I've never believed in the Jerry Krause dictum that organizations win championships, not players, because it's the players who at the end of the day are putting their blood, sweat, and tears out there. But it is true that there has to be a relationship between a franchise where everybody, secretaries, caterers, everybody, is happy to go to work in the morning and players who feel like they are part of some sort of organism that's bigger than them. And I'm so moved, just as an example, I was watching the Bad Boys 30 for 30 for the third time the other night (laughs) because I had a friend in town who hadn't seen it. And I was just like, you need to see this. Oh, my God, you haven't seen it. And the part that's so moving to me is when John Sally says, I was so cynical coming out of college. And when I heard people talk about, oh, this team is teams are like a family. This organization's like a family. I was like, BS, BS. And then I experienced the Pistons. And you look at that team and you're like, wow, from McCloskey to Chuck Daly to Chuck Daly's daughter who could speak with knowledge about the relationship between Rodman and Chuck Daly. I mean, it, the total impression was that this was one organism of people who actually gave a crap about each other. A different time and era, but you said something powerful, Dave. I, I mean, I know we got up against a break. You said something. Did you just say that the guys are more in, concerned with their brand, which means making money, than trying to win a championship? You, and you said today's player. That's a whole lot of folk. Yeah, might, not just we today's player. On that, man. Let, let me say this. Today's public figure. So it's not that, just about sports. It means it's not just about sports. It's about the state of our popular culture. We got to go to break. Hopefully we can revisit this at the end of the show. We'll be back right after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? My man. And me, Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? I'm doing great. All right, this is awesome with our next guest, I got to tell you, because I've been reading this particular journalist in Sports Illustrated for decades, and this is just a reason. There's so many reasons to hate social media. This is a reason to love social media, is I was reading his New York Times bestseller, Pete Rose, and American Dilemma, and I loved it. So I just, you know, I'm reading it, and I throw out on Twitter, love the book, Pete Rose, and American Dilemma, and just tagged him, and he got back to me and said, hey, thank you so much. And then I was like, oh, my God, he knows that I just said I liked his book. I got to get this guy on the show. He's agreed to do it. So happy to have him here. His name is Costia Kennedy. Mr. Kennedy, how you doing, sir? Dave, it's great to be on with you. It's my pleasure. Oh, man, and I love this book so much. Pete Rose and American Dilemma. Ton of questions. But first and foremost, just to explain for the audience, the dilemma, of course, is whether or not Pete Rose gets in the Hall of Fame or not, given his 4,256 hits. Why do you describe it that way, though? Why do you describe it as an American Dilemma? Well, it's it's real quick to do this. I mean, Pete himself is a classic American story, the American part of it. You know, a... uh, Blue-collar kid grew up in the in right by the Ohio River, uh, by the bootstraps, pulled himself up, hugely successful. Then had this big fall, ends up in Vegas. A, a very American story. 
the dilemma is on point. It's about the Hall of Fame, as you say. It's, it's also, I mean, if you look at what Pete did as a player, not just what he achieved, but the way he played the game with such integrity and such appreciation of, of the game, and then look at what he did by betting on the sport. On one hand, he, nobody played baseball with more integrity than Pete Rose, and then he committed this sin or this offense which cuts right to the heart of could cut to the heart of the integrity of the game so there's a dilemma there there's also the dilemma with what do we make of pete now after all these steroids have come and are still Mm -hmm. here or have come and gone in the in major league baseball uh so it works on a number of different levels the dilemma portion of it Mm. do you think that the steroid athletes as the years go by will eventually find their way into the Hall of Fame, yet Pete Rose never will? Is that your sum analysis of how this will go? And, you know, why, and why do you think that is? Well, I mean, the, the, big, the big, the clear thing that we know is that these guys are on the ballot, right? So Bonds and uh, Clemens, those are the two biggest guys. Um, they're on the ballot, and they're getting like 35 40%. Whether they're going to get in in the next eight years or so that they have available, uh, my guess would be yes, but I'm not 100% sure. It's, it's going to depend a little bit on what else might come out. Pete never got a chance to be voted on, ever. He was never – they deprived him of being heard of a day of judgment. And that's what I think is the big thing, not whether he should or shouldn't get in, but he should have been heard. And I don't really see any reason for baseball, if I'm just sitting in baseball shoes, I don't think that they have a motivation for – making him eligible or that the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame has any much motivation for that. So I don't see him getting in anytime soon. I think eventually, particularly in light of all the sea changes in our attitude towards gambling, you know, whether that's in 10, 20 years, whether it's after Pete, who's now 73, has passed away, I think eventually one day he'll be in the Hall of Fame, but it's going to be a while. Mm. But we're, we're here, so much to go with, with that last statement. Uh, we're here talking to Kostya Kennedy, author of the New York Times bestseller, Pete Rose, and American Dilemma. But before I get to the questions about gambling and changing attitudes, which I think is, is fascinating with regards to the world of sports, I got to ask you, just writing process-wise, your decision to do this book, I love the book, the success and the praise that the book has received speak for it, speaks for itself. But I have to ask, you know, a lot of ink has been spilled about Pete Rose, and he... My understanding is that it would not cooperate with you on mm-hmm. the book. Given the, those factors, you're Kostya Kennedy. You could pretty much you know, write about whatever you want. Here's a subject that's both been written a lot about, and he won't cooperate with you. What made you think you had a book to write? Well, there were two things. One is that there had been a change in the environment. And if you look at the books that have been – what's been written about Pete in the 25 years now since he's been out – it's really, I mean, it's been like kind of, uh, you know, Pete Rose, American Hero kind of books, you know, YA books and stuff like that. And, of course, his own uh, mea culpa, I call it a tea culpa, where he blames everybody else <laughs> when he came out with that book in 2004. But mainly I, I felt the situation around him had changed because of the steroids and all that. But I felt that Pete had changed, and he had. And he has in the past four or five years. There's really been a difference. I spent, I did a previous book on Joe DiMaggio called 56. Mm -hmm. And for that book, I went out to Vegas and spent about five hours with Pete. Um, There's so much detail I could go into, which I won't go into now. But two things happened there. One, while I'm sitting with him, he has a little TV set up at the table where he's signing autographs and people are coming in and out. And he's betting the horse races in Hollywood Park. He's having people go and put the bets on a Thursday afternoon in Hollywood Park. And the way he was doing that, with no compunction about it, like you and me pulling out a piece of gum, uh, 
that was striking in itself. The way the attitudes that people had towards him. It's not like if somebody sees Ernie Banks, they want to just, he, they love him. You know, here was more complicated. Some people loved Pete, but some people felt different. And at the end of our time together, I didn't ask him about this at all. I was really just talking with him about 1978 and his own hitting streak at this time. This is my previous book. But Pete said to me, he said, you know, that horse betting, that's the only gambling I do. I don't bet any baseball or other sports. And again, I hadn't even asked him that. And he felt to the, kind, the need to kind of unburden himself. And it made me realize like how much this had been sitting on him all this time. And the fact that he was unresolved in that way and then being able to sort of get to Petey, who's Pete's son, and get some good time with him and get to Dave Rose, who had never really spoken with people. That's Pete's, Pete's brother, who mm-hmm. is an amazing story in himself. All of those things sort of made me think, hey, there, there's something to be said here, and there's a lot that, that hasn't been said, mm-hmm. even though, of course, he, he's been written about. Yeah, and, and there's so much in the book is like, I mean, reading it is like peeling an onion because there's layer after layer, and a couple of times, frankly, I ended up getting a little misty-eyed. So oh. the book is an onion in so many ways. <laughs> um, I, I, I got I to ask, I've interviewed Pete Rose on my show here, Edge of Sports, before, and mm-hmm. I just got to ask you this before we talk about gambling. And it was such a fun interview. He had this nonstop patter and energy. Yep. He went out of his way to speak about the ways in which uh, outfield, uh, the teaching of fielding in the outfield is totally gotten wrong in the 21st century like just I asked him a random question about a rookie and he just and then did this master class in really quick accessible terms about how they're teaching fielding wrong and it was just an, an amazing experience to interview him and but I, I'd never met him before mm-hmm. um, I, I couldn't believe how personable he was given that I'd never met him or spoken to him so I got to ask you this question like how much of that pattern energy in your mind is a come on or how much of this is actually that's just who he is I think it's who he is, David. It's great to hear that experience you had with him. and his, He has this great memory, and he truly, truly loves baseball. I mean, you know, all these guys love baseball, and most of them are in the game, but Pete's got a special extra love for it. And I think that's genuinely who he is. I mean, and that's why he was, although a lot of people were unhappy with Pete after he did what he did and other major things that happened in his life, ball player after ball player adored him. People mm-hmm. who played with him, whether it was guys like Mike Schmidt and Wade Boggs, Hall of Famers, or people like Greg Gross and Jerry Royster, you know, kind of bench warmers and, and secondary players. Because Pete was so much fun, knew so much about the game, was so generous with information. He's just always on, you know. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, it, it's another part of the dilemma with Pete because you, you'd love to be with him. Uh, you'd love to be around him. Then when you get to peel the onion a little more, there's a little bit less he becomes less palatable. But I think any baseball fan to have an hour with Pete or a couple hours with Pete is is a pure joy. I mean, the guy is, is lively and funny and, and smart and quick and, and all those things, even now. So pure joy, but he commits the ultimate sin in sports beyond drugs, beyond spousal abuse, beyond things that I think in society we consider sins profoundly worse right. than what Pete Rose 
actually did, but it is the number one sin of sports in that bets on he bets on baseball. Adam Silver just writes an op-ed basically saying that the NBA wants to lead the way into legalized sports gambling and, you know, lets all of us basically get our piece of the $400 billion pie. The existential fear is that it would turn sports into professional wrestling because people would not be assured of the outcome and wonder if something fishy is going on. How real do you think should we take those fears in the 21st century? And what does the Pete Rose experience teach us about how, how real those fears should be, how seriously those fears should be taken? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that uh, Silver is just simply recognizing what's going to happen at some point. I mean, there's the forces behind legalizing gambling have been in place for so long. We've seen the increasing number of casinos that have opened, and now here's a new bridge and and it's going to happen so i think he's just as you say he wants to get in there and get their piece of the pie there's a lot of danger to it you know he talked about hey you know in in europe you can bet on a cell phone and you can bet on your tv and and it's why not why don't we do it here uh as, as silver wrote in his piece but it's also i mean we've seen all the soccer fixing issues and it's been a tremendously difficult thing you know for for soccer I don't know how much it's hurt their bottom line, but it's been a difficult image thing. So there's going to be a lot of hurdles. I think it's true that there will be some fear of that. And even though players make so much money now that they might not need to be on the take, and even though uh, things will be regulated, there are going to be issues. And there are going to be times when we are not sure of things being on the level. And it just depends how much that will you know, will cut to the heart of the sports fan. You know, when I was working on this book, Dave, I can't tell you the number of times that 1919 came up mm-hmm. uh, when when the Black Sox threw the World Series. And we're talking about now it's it's 70, it was almost 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's 95, 95 years. years yeah. 95 years, right. And, and people in baseball still remember, oh, well, it almost took down our game. And if it hadn't been for Babe Ruth, then, you know, they saw a serious drop in attendance, a lack of public faith. And that's what they were really afraid of when Pete Rose, the Pete Rose situation happened. And I think those fears are, are true to some degree right now. And, and, you know, one of the reasons why sports has survived so well in this time of uh, DVRing and watch anything anywhere at any time is, of course, the live programming mm-hmm. aspect and the fact that you don't know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And w- w- that's that's going to be incredibly, incredibly important to take care of. So I just think that it's going to happen, but it's going to happen over a period of time where they're going to try to lock things down uh, as much as they can and try to keep that faith as much as they can. I don't see what else they can do. You know, and, I mean, you're talking, if you lose that faith, I mean, you could be talking about losing broadcast television. Well, Seriously. That, and that's why when you, you said at the outset, and you're right, that's why the Pete Rosen within the business of baseball is seen as worse than spousal abuse and, and other things that are obviously much worse from a human perspective because of the threat it could be to the bottom line. Yeah. You know? And I think it's naive to think that it, that there won't be some fear of that. I mean, there, there's gotta be, mm. uh, you know, I think, I think that Silver's take is basically like it's happening anyway. So let's, let's have some oversight and look at it. Right. Which is basically putting it, Equating gambling with drinking, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't do that with prostitution, right? That's happening anyway, and we know it's happening, and it would probably be safer and 
uh, cleaner and better if it was regulated by the government, as it is in Amsterdam and a couple of other places, right? But we're not, we're not ready to take that leap, and we're not ready to take that leap with most drugs, but we're, now we're going to take it with gambling. It's a calculated risk, you know, because gambling clearly ruins lives, and it ruins Pete's life, right? Uh, so it, it's a calculated risk, and I think Silver just says wh- whatever we're thinking, it's going to happen. I see the tidal wave, and I'm I'm joining up. Mm. The book is Pete Rose: An American Dilemma. The author is Kostya Kennedy. Thank you so much for joining us on Edge of Sports Radio. I'm a huge fan, Dave. Thanks so much for having uh, me. Thank you so much. That means more to me than you know. Um, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back right after this. One, two, don't one, two, move. Three. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here in your Sports Radio. Wrap up the show. Coach, mean Mark. Let me clarify a point from earlier in the show. Be very clear about this. It's not just about sports. I think anybody who is young, who is growing themselves into a position where fame is is something that is attainable is thinking constantly about their own brand. It has to do with the neoliberalization of this country. It has to do with uh, the Darren Ravelization <laughs> of this country. That it's almost like asking a player to not try to think of themselves as a brand in this current climate is frankly asking them to be counterintuitive. Okay, but and you- it takes, this is my only point, is that it, 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 unless... <laughs> You're talking about a very exceptional group of folks, and by exceptional I mean different, not better. Exceptional group of folks. It takes some sort of external authority or leadership to direct them away from what I think is a destructive path with regards to their own career. So you're saying young members of Congress don't strive to be president. They want to do their brand. I think young members of Congress are striving to be president, not striving to be good lawmakers. They're striving to say, well, if I can't be president, maybe I can get uh, a contributor role on Fox yeah. okay. and, and not and, be a good lawmaker. And you're also saying that guys aren't striving to be in the Super Bowl. They're about to the brand. And actors aren't trying to win the Academy Award. They're just trying to make a lot of B- B-level movies and, make, and, and, and fatten their wallets. Yeah. Is there a Marvel superhero movie that somehow – look, um, and let's go there for a second. What's Andrew Garfield? Is it the new Spider-Man? Andrew, is that his yes. name? Andrew Garfield, one of the best young actors that – I think has come out in a long time. I'm a huge Andrew Garfield fan. He basically gave up, what, five, six years of his prime career to act in two profoundly stupid Spider-Man movies? Now, 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 now you're hurting me. It's not me. like I you don't, can't don't... make more than one movie in a year, though. But he didn't. But he didn't because, you know, what? when you when you go all in on these Marvel movies, they want a pound of that flesh from you. They want your flesh to when they fair, do these movies because they're it's global a... operations that Get make billions Get of dollars. Get a mark. Marvel is very close to my heart. <laughs> and to be fair, Spider-Man is a Sony product, not a Marvel product. Yeah. So they're on. terrible. Yes. I, I, I stand by everything I said. And I'm so sorry, Mark. I didn't get the brand right. I'm just saying. Brands above all, say. people. This is Edge Sports Radio. I'm Dave Zyron. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.